Hey, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 if you have your Bible today in our Bible study time. So if you have your Bible, Philippians chapter 3, go ahead and get started there. And our, our church has had just an incredible, really two weeks of ministry, a week of youth camp. Um, where all of our students kind of every day, all day for four days, got to just lean into what Jesus was doing in their life. And then a week of vacation Bible school where our elementary students just got to lean in all day, every day for four days to look at what Jesus was doing. Uh, I had the opportunity this week, I was in Florida. I spoke seven times in four days to four churches from Georgia that were doing student camp down there. Uh, And when you can get away for a week to really focus on your life spiritually, Man, God shows up. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming down the aisle. They've got Bibles you can use today if you want to follow along in the text. They've actually got a Bible you can have. If you don't have a Bible um, and you want one, just wave at them, put your name in this one, and keep it. Because in Philippians chapter 3, we follow up in this brand new series that we started last week on the life of the Apostle Paul. We, we kind of move from how you become a Christian to how you live life as a Christian. Now, in the context of youth camp, you can talk about that all at the same time because you have four days. In the context of vacation Bible school, which is kind of like a Christian day camp for those of you who haven't grown up in church, um, you can talk about that in the course of the week because you've got kids all day, every day. But for this series, we had to break those into two parts. Last week, how the Apostle Paul became, became a Christian And this week, how he began to live his life as a Christian. If you haven't already, take your notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along. Because we find out that for the Apostle Paul and for us, we're studying his life, not to learn about him, but to learn about him so we can know more about us. For the Apostle Paul and for us, a moment of conversion, a moment of becoming a Christian is supposed to be followed by a lifetime of transformation. This is not a a one prayer thing. This is not a one week thing. This is not a moment of decision that never has any follow-up to it. Christianity is a moment of decision followed by a lifetime of transformation. And in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul clearly lays out his thought processes and his pursuits that changed his life spiritually. So the Apostle Paul didn't just say a prayer, raise his hand, stand up, walk down an aisle, pray at an altar. The Apostle Paul didn't have this one-time spiritual experience that changed him forever. He had a moment of conversion that we learned about last week. But in Philippians chapter 3, he said, as I walk through my life, here's some decisions I had to make. Here's some critical decisions that I had to make to see my life be changed so that I could follow Jesus well. And in a Bible study that I've titled kind of when everything changes in Philippians chapter three, Paul said, when I did these things in my life, everything changed. So we look at Philippians chapter three to learn from the apostle Paul. And here's what he says in Philippians three, starting in verse one, we'll go through verse 14. He says, further, my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Then he starts talking a little bit about Judaism. For those of you who are unfamiliar with New Testament scripture, you're going to say, this sounds weird. You have to understand Old Testament Judaism. But he says, for it's we who are the circumcision. That was one of the outward signs of being Jewish. It's we who serve God by a spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh or just to feel good about themselves spiritually, said, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, which means his parents would have been perfect Jews. Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law of Pharisee, which meant I followed all of it, I memorized all of it, I taught all of it. 
As for zeal or passion, he said, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, as for doing everything that Judaism said to do, he said, I was faultless. I did it all. Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Then he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul, last week we saw him become a Christian. This week he tells us how, how he began to draw close to God as a Christian. And my hope is that everyone in the room this morning, for the most part, has that desire in their life. That if you're a Christian, you're hoping in your Christianity to figure out how to, how to draw a little bit closer to God. Regardless of your upbringing, hopefully every time you come to church you're thinking, Alright God, speak to me in some way that draws me a little bit closer to you. And not all of us are where we want to be spiritually. I love what the Apostle Paul said. He said, here's all my goals spiritually, and I haven't attained most of them, but I'm trying. One of my favorite pastors is a man named Rick Warren, who pastors Saddleback Church in California. He wrote one of the best-selling books of all time called The Purpose Driven Life. And I heard him say one time, you may not be where you want to be spiritually, but as long as you're not where you used to be spiritually, you're moving in the right direction. And some of you need to write that down because your mindset is a mindset of failure because you're not where you want to be spiritually. But in reality, your Christianity is a story of success because you're not where you used to be spiritually. So what we need to do is figure out how to keep moving forward between where we are and where we'd like to be while celebrating that we're not who we used to be. So the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 says, here's four things that I had to do. In order to keep moving forward spiritually, here's some decisions that I had to make. And my hope today is to show you these decisions. And then at the end of the message, have you commit to some of these decisions? And this year to have the greatest spiritual summer of your life. Here's what Paul said as he walked us through Philippians chapter 3. He said, you need to understand, I had to choose Jesus over Judaism. This would have been a big deal for him. Because he was raised... Literally raised not just to follow Judaism, but to become a leader in Judaism, and then later to teach everyone else how to be great Jewish followers. And in verses 3 through 7, he said, I had a lot of confidence in who I was spiritually, but I wasn't close to Jesus. Some of you are in here, and you might have some confidence over who you are spiritually. We talked about this last week, maybe because of comparison to the world. You look at the world around you and you think, man, I'm so much better spiritually than most of the people who don't go to church. You feel pretty good about yourself spiritually, even though you're not close to Jesus. We talked about comparison to other Christians last week. Some of you sit and you think, man, I'm like, I'm a way better Christian than the person sitting next to me or the person who's not here today. And we feel pretty good about ourselves spiritually, even though we're not close to Jesus. Paul said, man, when I followed Judaism, well, I felt pretty good about myself spiritually. However, I wasn't really close to Jesus. Look at verses 3 through 7. 
He talks about people who are, who are Jews. He says, for it's we who are the circumcision. That was just one of their signs. We who serve God by his spirit. Then he says, we who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I love this. I have more. I am better spiritually than most people, even though I wasn't close to Jesus, Paul says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultness, I felt pretty good about myself spiritually. Verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I had to consider loss for the sake of Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul, the thing the thing that kept him away from Jesus was his pursuit of Judaism. He, he was so obsessed with being a perfect Jew that he missed sight of Jesus and he didn't have time for Jesus and this pursuit of Judaism at the same time. Which makes me ask this question. What's competing today for your commitment to Jesus? What's the thing in your life that's competing for your time, for your energy, for your affection, for your money? What's the thing that's competing with your time for Jesus? Let me ask it another way, and this is an oversimplification of this question. But it's, I think it's a good analogy. For those of you who watched the Kenya video who heard Pastor Ben, I said, man, I would love to spend 10 days in Kenya ministering to orphan kids in the mountains of northwest Kenya For those of you whose hearts told you that, but then you immediately said, but I can't because of, what's the because of? What's the thing that when your heart says, lean into Jesus, you think, man, I would love to do that, but I can't because of. When you hear me at the end of the service give you a summer 2015 spiritual growth plan of reading your Bible every day, praying every day, memorizing a verse a week, where you think, man, I'd love to do that, but I can't because of. What's the thing competing for your commitment to Jesus? For most adults, it's probably our career, it's our job. Um, it's just the time we put into work. We're, we're too busy. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's our hobbies. You know, we've got a little bit of free time, but we want to spend that free time doing things we like with people we like. Maybe it's friendships or relationships. Maybe you're a young single in here and your pursuit of the future husband and wife really keeps you away from the things of God or, you know, the things, maybe you're a middle school or a high school kid and you're always obsessed with being with friends and you're friends nonstop, but you have no time for Jesus. What's the thing competing for your commitment to Jesus? Or maybe it's all of those combined. Maybe, maybe it's just the life we live that's filled with career and hobbies and friendships. You know, I read a book in the summer of 2010 that kicked my butt spiritually. I mean, it, it laid me flat for months because the truth of it hit me right in between the eyes. Because I was not as close to Jesus as I should have been, really couldn't put my finger on the why, and then I'm shopping at Barnes and Nobles one day, and I see this book called Radical. Some of you have read it. All of you need to read it. And the, the title of the book, Radical, didn't catch my eye. It was the subtitle of the book, Sitting Up on the Shelf. Taking back your faith from the American dream. Taking back your faith from the American dream. This book basically goes on to say through the teachings of Jesus that the teachings of Jesus, the selflessness of it, the surrender of it, the giving your life wholeheartedly to something, and the culture of the American dream, which is go, pursue, take, sacrifice, They're kind of in opposition to yourself and you can't have it all and have Jesus too. Those are two different spirits living 
within you. Maybe you look at your commitment to Jesus and you just say, you know, I don't know, I don't know that I could ever have that here. My life, my American life just has a little too much going on for Jesus. This is why a lot of people in our church love to take mission trips and feel close to God while they're on their mission field. It's not because of where they are, it's because of where they aren't. They've stepped out of America. They're not worried about themselves and every need of every minute for a little bit. And they find their heart opening up to the things of Jesus. Paul had that with Judaism. He had to step back from his pursuit of being a perfect Jewish leader in order to connect with Jesus. Which means, number two, he had to choose a relationship over religion. Paul had to choose a relationship over religion because he had not just pursued religion. He'd become a tremendous religious leader but he still felt empty. If we continue in Philippians chapter three in verses eight and nine, he talks about in three through seven, he kind of had to take his hand off a pursuit of religion in order to connect to Jesus in a relationship. And he said, what is more in verse eight? I consider everything a loss, which means I wasted my time pursuing it because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You need to underline those words, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is Paul's theme in Philippians chapter 3. He keeps talking about how he doesn't know Jesus enough, and he wants to know Jesus more. It is very relational, not religious at all. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. And then he says this about pursuits in life that didn't connect him to Jesus. I consider them garbage. Strong language. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Why? Because when they were valuable, they competed with Jesus. But when they became garbage, Jesus got to be first. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not keeping rules, not pursuing religion, but a righteousness which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, the righteousness of having a relationship with Jesus. So when you sit in a theology class and you have professors talk to you in Bible college and seminary, they define religion as man's attempt to connect to God. And it's why there are hundreds, if not thousands of different global religions, because humanity wants to be connected to God. But our attempts to connect to God are tremendous failures in light of God's attempts to connect to us. And we experience this. A group of 12 of us just got back from Israel about a week ago. And at least for me, again in Israel, I saw the massive difference between religion, man's attempts to connect to, to celebrate God, and God's attempts to come and be a part of us and connect with us relationally. Because in Israel, if you go to Israel with us, and I hope you do one day, you will see some of the greatest, most impressive, largest, the most expensive church buildings that have ever been built in the history of the world. I mean, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars that have gone into these facilities. You drive into Nazareth where Jesus was born, and from miles away, Nazareth sits way up on a hill. You can see the Church of the Annunciation that had to have cost over a hundred million dollars. It's, it's just unbelievable. This church that sits up on top and the mosaics and the art and the gift. It's, it's unbelievable the sight and the beauty of this church. 
And you walk through Jerusalem and you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where they celebrate Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. And it, it, it is the largest church facility that I have ever been in. It's just unbelievable. And you go to the Garden of Gethsemane where these monks kind of oversee this church that's wrapped around this ancient stone that they think Jesus could have prayed on 2,000 years ago. And I mean, the structures in Israel, every location you go to, there's something that has been built by man to celebrate God that at first glance is just unbelievable. And you just want to take hundreds of pictures. It's unbelievable until you compare it to the real Bible stories of what God did for man. And then you, then you start ignoring the churches. You don't even see the churches because you start seeing the Bible stories come to life. When you stand in the Valley of Elah, where David fought and killed Goliath, and you stand on the mountaintop that's nearest to us, and you look across the Valley of Elah, and you picture yourself with the army of Israel, and you picture the Philistines on the other hill, and you picture a young David with his little sling in, in his pocket going down to get stones. There's no church, there's no cathedral, there's no religion there. There's only the story of a holy God who came down and met with imperfect humanity to form this relationship for his people and his nation, Israel. And it just kind of blows your mind. And, and you don't care that there's not a church there, some man-made church celebrating what's going on. You go to Caesarea, where Paul was kept in prison. I tell you, that, that is a real picture that one of our people took from their cell phone on the Mediterranean coast. And you go to Caesarea, where the apostle Paul was kept in prison for two years, and where he got to share the story of Jesus with kings of Israel and kings and rulers from Rome. And over the course of two years, he got to talk to everyone about Jesus. And you're not concerned about the lack of formal religion there. There's no church. It's just a spot. You think about what God did in the life of a person there, and it kind of blows your mind away. You stand on the Mount of Beatitudes, which is one of the most beautiful places on planet Earth. And you look out over the Sea of Galilee and you imagine Jesus standing there teaching through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and teaching people that their hearts have to be changed in order to connect with God. And there's a little church at the top of the Mount of Beatitudes that I don't even think I went in this time because when you're in a place where Jesus was, when you're in a place where Jesus came down, it doesn't matter what man has built up. It just, you don't even see it. It doesn't matter anymore. Or when you go to the Jordan River, where John the Baptist would have been baptizing, where we take our people to baptize them in the Jordan River to kind of reignite their faith, where Jesus would have been baptized in this river that flowed between the Sea of Galilee and the, the Dead Sea. When you have this moment in the Sea of Galilee, you're not really looking for some mosaic painting that's been hanging there since 1500. You're just in awe that Jesus would have been there, that God would have come down. When you're in Capernaum, the ancient city where Jesus based his ministry, and you're looking at the Capernaum synagogue that's built on top of the exact foundation of what's called the Jesus synagogue. You can stand where Jesus stood when he healed a man whose hand was withered, when he cast out a demon, when he taught people about who he was. You're not really concerned with religion at this standpoint as much as you're overwhelmed that God would send Jesus to planet earth. When you stand at the cave of David in the mountains of En Gedi where David and his 400 soldiers were on the run from Saul and you see this massive waterfall that is in the middle of the desert but it would have provided water for David and his men and their flocks. And you think about how much God cared for humanity. There's a big difference between religion and what God did for humanity. And then when you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they have protected there a, 
an olive tree that they think could be maybe 2,000 years old, an olive tree that could have been in the Garden of Gethsemane the night Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. You're just kind of in awe that Jesus was real and that he came and that he loved us and that he did ministry and that he died and that he rose again and he wants to be our friend. And religion pales in comparison with the story and the places that Jesus was so that he could connect to us. You see, religion is man's attempt to connect to God. And Paul said, I tried and I always felt empty. But a relationship is God's attempt to connect to us. So Paul said, I did the religious thing. I sat in church on Sunday morning. And it just never felt like my heart fired spiritually. I always felt disconnected spiritually. But Paul said, then I met Jesus. And I was willing to lose everything to connect with Jesus because he just changed my heart and he made me feel close to God but Paul said I, I I don't stop with an experience that makes me feel good number three we see that Paul chose to focus on continual transformation in his life rather than a moment of conversion Paul said I'm not going to be satisfied on having one experience with Jesus I want to have more experiences with Jesus I'm not going to be satisfied with one day in my past giving my life to Jesus what I want is to have time with Jesus every day of my life so he said I'm going to choose in my life to focus on continual transformation rather than a moment of conversion look at Philippians 3:10 Paul says five words at the beginning of this verse that I laugh at because I know who he is and I know who we are. He says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. Now let's stop right there. None of us would know who Jesus was without the Apostle Paul. He was the most gifted Bible teacher. He was the most anointed and inspired Bible writer of the entire New Testament. If Paul wouldn't have told us how to know who Jesus was, we wouldn't have known who Jesus was. Yet here's the Apostle Paul teaching the world who Jesus is, saying, for me, even though I've got all the answers every day, I'm still trying to get to know Jesus a little better. It really challenges me. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I love how Paul includes this. Paul say, you say, Paul, do you want to be a Christian so you can go to heaven one day when you die? Absolutely. One of the reasons I want to know Jesus is because I want to raise from the dead one day just like he did. Is that the only reason you want to know Jesus, Paul? No. I want to become just like him. That's why I want to know Jesus. Not just so I can go to heaven. I want to go to heaven, but I want to become just like him. I want my life to continually be transformed rather than just be a moment of conversion. So I have to ask you this question. Are you relying on your spiritual past to be connected to God or your spiritual future? Because the Apostle Paul speaks through the lens of future in his Christian experience is future tense. Hey, Paul, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. And he'll say, okay, here's what I'm planning to do. A lot of us, when we're asked about our relationship with Jesus, we go back to a moment in the past because that's the last time we really had an experience with Jesus. But Paul says, Paul, tell me about your experience with Jesus. He'll say, okay, let me tell you what I'm doing today. And let me tell you what I plan to do tomorrow because his experience with Jesus was always an ongoing, continual transformation. And because of that, he had a personal theology, number four, that was shaped to focus on future opportunities rather than his past failures. And as we come to this point today, this probably is the area where so many people get hung up on really feeling close to Jesus. 
As a matter of fact, there are some of you here today who have never attempted to really give your life to Jesus. You just came to watch a son or daughter, grandson, granddaughter, niece, nephew, little neighbor, kid. Church is not your thing. Christianity is not your thing. Jesus is not your thing. We're glad you're here. I hope you're having an enjoyable experience this morning. But maybe Jesus is not your thing because you look at your past and you say, you know, I know a few Christians and I don't, I don't think I can be one of those. Because when I look at my past, I, I, don't think, I don't think I could be a Christian because all your spiritual focus is backwards, not forwards. And it's interesting because the Bible tells us that Jesus steps into a moment of time in your life and he changes and forgives everything in your past and he has the opportunity to change and transform everything in your future but a lot of us have a theology that's shaped kind of like this that if you get everything in your life together if you can if you can clean your past up Jesus will accept you but the bible never says anything like that go read the stories of when Jesus healed people Because you and I grew up in churches with a Jesus that looks a lot like this. If a blind man came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to see, will you restore my sight? We've grown up with a Jesus that says, well, I don't know. Before I heal you, let me ask you, if I restore your sight, you going to go look at pornography? You going to go watch rated R movie? We've grown up with a conditional Jesus that once our past is cleaned up, he'll accept us. You never see Jesus tell someone, I'll heal you based on you making sure you never get it wrong in the future. Jesus steps into a moment of time to change our past and transform our future if we'll stay close to him. But Jesus steps into a moment of time. How many times do you see Jesus in scripture when a lame man walks up to him and says, Jesus, I just want to be able to walk. And Jesus says, you know what? I'll heal you if you promise to walk your butt to church every Sunday. Like if those legs take you to church, I'll make them work. But if you're going to run down to the bar, you're just going to stay lame. You ever see Jesus do that in scripture? But our church has created kind of this conditional Jesus that said, Jesus will love you. If you get all your stuff together, Jesus will love you. The apostle Paul looked at his past. He said, man, my past is filled with failures. But my future is filled with opportunity. So I I guess I'm going to have to look forward. Look at verses 12 through 14. The apostle Paul said, my goal is to get to know Jesus a little more every day. And I love what he said in verse 12. He said, I'm not doing that well right now. Not that I've already obtained all this or that I've already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I'm still trying to get close to Jesus. But one thing I do, I got to forget what's behind. And I have to strain toward what is ahead. And I have to press on to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Listen, had Paul focused on his past, he could have never felt close to Jesus. Because Paul was a bad guy. And, and I'm going I'm to put Paul in a, in a category that's going to be very offensive to some. But it's who Paul was. Paul would have been in his day very much like a commander um, in ISIS. Paul's goal was to go find Christians, men, women, and children, to arrest them, to put them in jail, and to kill them just because they were Christians. I find it ironic, Paul was going to Damascus, which is one of the hotbeds of fighting between ISIS and the Arabs today, in the Arab world, Paul was going to Damascus to wage a battle against Christians. Men, women, and children, so he could find them, arrest them, put them in prison, and kill them if he needed to. He's a bad guy. 
I mean, if Paul would have judged his relationship with Jesus based on his past, wasn't going to be good. But Paul said, I've learned for me to be close to Jesus. I have to. I have to choose to get past my past. I have to choose to get past my past. Because if I always see myself through the lens of who I was, I'll never see myself through the lens of who I can be as a friend of Jesus. So I have to choose to get past my past. And, he, and Paul said, this one thing I'm choosing. I'm choosing to look at who I was and I'm choosing to forget that. Not because it's not important, but if I look at who I am as a spiritual failure, I'll never be closer to Jesus. And he said, I'm going to look forward spiritually to new opportunities. You know, your past shapes you, but it doesn't have to define you. And some of you are in here today and you will never walk into the future God wants to have with you until you stop letting your past define you. You may have some terrible mistakes in your past. You may have made some terrible decisions in your past. You may be living in the consequences of something that happened years ago or days ago that are going to be really hard to keep working through. Your past shapes you, but it doesn't have to define you. You can step into a future that's defined by your relationship with Jesus. Because what Paul is telling us here is that your future always gives you the opportunity to get close to God regardless of how far your life is from him right now. Regardless of where you walked into this service today, every one of us can lean into a future where we connect with Jesus in a transformational way, not a moment of conversion that we look back to our whole life and then some religious church attendance from every now and then, but a daily relationship with Jesus that leaves us finally feeling at peace with God. So let me ask you a question. How are you doing spiritually? You know, one of the running jokes, even though it's, I mean, it's, it's very real at our church, is we very often, like we will do today, at the end of a service, we will invite people who don't feel connected to God to receive Jesus as their Savior, to make a decision to follow Jesus. And, and we keep track of those because it's, it's important to us when people make spiritual decisions, and we celebrate it. I don't know how many it is right now. I think it's over 600 people since our church have started, has started that have raised their hands, stood up, come forward, checked a card, prayed at Vacation Bible School at Youth Camp and said, I've connected to Jesus. But every time I give that number, there's some people in our church that come up to me and laugh and they say, hey, I know you're counting hands. Like of those 600 decisions, like I think 12 of them were me. Because like every Sunday, you know, um, I feel like I, I just don't feel like I'm connected to God. That was me. I mean, I was born and raised very much like Paul in a very traditional religious home. And I had a past experience with Jesus. I could tell you when I prayed and I had some ongoing religion. I went to church every Sunday, but from Sunday at about 1 p.m. till Sunday at about 8 a.m., I didn't do much for Jesus. And every time I was confronted with that fact, I felt distant from Jesus. I didn't feel connected. It didn't mean that I wasn't a Christian. It didn't mean that I loved God. It meant I wasn't daily connected to Jesus because I was putting no effort into that. And it was until I was about 20 that anytime somebody would give a really strong message about this feeling of being close to God, 
that almost every message I heard when someone said, man, if you don't feel close to God, you can nail that down today. I thought, I need to nail that down today because I don't feel close. I'm a Christian that doesn't feel connected to God because I was, I was a Christian that wasn't connected to God. And at about 20, I made a decision that if I was going to feel in my heart what I desired in my spirit, a connection with Jesus, I was going to have to spend time with him every day. And I started just slowly, not every day, but many days, reading my Bible a little bit, praying a little bit, memorizing a lot of scripture. And I found what scripture says to be true. I found it to be true that if God says, you'll draw near to me, if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And I'd go a month reading my Bible and I'd sit in church and a pastor would come and give a powerful message about feeling connected to God. And he'd say, if you don't feel connected to God. And I remember for the first time thinking, no, I actually do feel, I do feel connected to God. I don't think I got to raise my hand. I don't think I got to go forward. I think I'm doing okay because I'd been spending time with Jesus. And then I remember six months later, and then a year later and three years later, I can't even remember the last time now where a powerful sermon hit my heart and I realized I wasn't connected to God because I've made an effort to stay close to God. But as we look at the life of the apostle Paul, the Paul, the, the apostle Paul says, you have to work into your future time with Jesus if you're going to be close to Jesus. And every time we go to Israel, one of the first places I go in Israel, because I have to book our time there, but because I want to see it, every time I go to the garden tomb, it's one of the locations where they believe Jesus could have been crucified and resurrected. It's a free location. It's run by British Christians. And every time I go to Jerusalem, one of the first places I go, I just want to go see it. Just want to be reminded that it's still there. Just want to be reminded that it's still empty. And one of the places that I go that makes my heart feel really close to God is the tomb. Because as long as that tomb is empty and as long as that door is open, I, I, I see it as an invitation to come in and be close to God. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is you can have a moment of conversion where you say yes to Jesus. But then if you trust in religion, or if you just trust in that one experience, or if you start focusing on your past... You're never going to really feel like you have joined hands with Jesus in life and you're living every day for him. But if you can begin to connect to Jesus and have a relationship with him and you can put some effort into spending time with him every day and it will be more important to you to spend time with Jesus than to be a part of religious things that are about Jesus. Paul says your life will be transformed and you may not be where you want to be, but man, you will not stay where you are and your heart will begin to change. So because of this, we're giving our church a 2015 summer spiritual growth plan as a spiritual challenge. Inside your bulletins, you'll find this little sheet of paper. And the information on this sheet of paper is designed to take one hour a week. Or, let me, let me say this for you, because if you say no to this and you don't have time, I just want you to know how lazy you are. About eight minutes a day is what it'll take to follow this plan. One chapter of the Bible a day. One memory verse to review every week, a little prayer guide. Basically, I have written up for you a plan that starts tomorrow, that ends on Labor Day, which asks for eight minutes of your day or about one hour of your week. I say both of those to say this. If you skip Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you get to Saturday and think, man, I wish I'd have done that, if you take an hour, you can catch up. Now, if you skip the first 10 weeks, you're probably going to have to take a day off work because you'll be about 10 hours behind. So don't, don't get 10 weeks behind. But I've laid out a schedule for you to lean into Jesus. 
Starting tomorrow, one chapter a day in the book of Mark will get you through the life of Jesus before July 1. You'll read everything that's written about Jesus in the book of Mark before July 1. Some days will take two or three minutes. Some days will take six or seven. Starting in July, I'm going to take you through some of the great New Testament teaching and some inspirational psalms to show you how they directed Christians 2,000 years ago to live and to show you how people stayed encouraged in a discouraging life through the book of Psalms. When we get to August, I'm going to ask you to engage with us in the wisdom of Proverbs, one proverb a day for 31 days, just to hear what God says is the wise way to live your life. And then we come in September, and I'm going to ask you to take a week to read Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, that all they talk about is the power of God's word in your life. Because I'm hoping when you finish this summer plan, you'll think, you know, I should keep going. Even though summer's over, I should keep going because the word of God is so powerful. I want to challenge you to memorize a verse a week this summer over the next 12 weeks. You say, Christian, how do you memorize scripture? I take a verse, I write it down on a three by five index card, and I take it everywhere with me that week. And it red lights, and at work, I'll set it on my desk, and I'll put it in my bathroom so I can see it when I'm brushing my teeth. I just try, I just try to have this in front of me so that I can go over it again and again and again in my mind. And by the end of summer, I'll have 12 cards that I can go back and look at. And I want to ask you to pray every day. You can pray 30 seconds, you can pray three minutes, you can pray 10 minutes. On Sunday, pray for your spiritual needs. Make Sunday the day you're aware that you want God to grow you. On Monday, pray for your life needs. God, here's some things that I've got going on in my life. On Tuesday, pray for your family. Pray for them by name. On Wednesday, pray for your friends. On Thursday, pray for your job or your career. On Friday, pray for one person far from God. Just think if the next 12 weeks you prayed 12 times for someone who didn't know Jesus, what God might do in their life. And on Saturday, pray for our ministry's impact in the life of people who will be coming the next day. See, I believe that if you... Will like I did at 20. If you will commit to a relationship with Jesus instead of a memory with Jesus, something's going to happen in your soul. It's going to change your connection to God. And when that happens, like with the Apostle Paul, everything changes. When you really connect with Jesus in a relationship, everything changes. I want to ask you to bow your heads.